Mrs. Nisa Moskowitz says the ordeal never ends. Her daughter Stacy died in an ambush of a parked car in Brooklyn, slain in the classic pattern of the 44 killer. Deep down, you'd still like to see, even though you know it's legally impossible, you'd like to see David Berkowitz go to the electric chair? Yes. Yes, I'd give 10 years of my life. That's the voice of Nisa Moskowitz from a report on Channel 5 way back in 1978. Her daughter, Stacy Moskowitz, was the last person shot and killed by David Berkowitz. In the interview here, she's calling on lawmakers to bring back the death penalty and execute the self-proclaimed Son of Sam, the serial killer who admitted to killing six people and wounding seven others. He's just an animal as far as I'm concerned. You don't believe that he thought that there were voices that were telling him what to do? Well, if everybody would listen to their voices all the time, I think there'd be very few people living in this earth. No, no. Look, if he wants to hear voices, uh, we can get all the parents together. He can hear a hell of a lot of voices. What do you mean by that? My daughter. I still hear her saying, Mommy, I hurt. I have a headache. Am I going to be all right? And I'm standing over her knowing she's dying and saying, Yes, you're going to be fine, honey. It was the summer of 1977, the summer of Sam. A killer stalking women and their lovers with his 44 caliber revolver in the city's outer boroughs. The women were mostly young, white, and with long, dark hair. Then came that night, July 31st, 1977. Stacy Moskowitz and her date, Robert Violante, in a parked car in Bath Beach, Brooklyn. It's a neighborhood located at the southwestern edge of the borough. They were in the car, a romantic evening when it happened. She was shot in the head and neck and later died at the hospital. Violante was also shot. He survived, but was blinded. Earlier in the evening, according to the New York Post, her mother Nisa told her to be careful before going out that night. Stacy, who had blonde hair, said, don't worry, mom, he's not after blondes. It wouldn't be the only detail different than the other killings. David Berkowitz confessed to six murders as the son of Sam. He's now serving a life sentence. But the Gannett newspaper chain says that Berkowitz might not have actually pulled the trigger on his last victims, Stacey Moskowitz and Robert Violante. A copyrighted story today says one witness places Berkowitz too far away from the crime scene. Other witnesses say the killer was a hippie type, a description that did not match Berkowitz. The police and prosecutors who worked on the Son of Sam case say there is absolutely no evidence of any accomplice. They say the newspaper story is wild, not supported at all by any evidence. Another possible killer couldn't have been. Berkowitz admitted to every single one of those crimes. Any rumors of anyone else being involved dismissed as a conspiracy theory. But now, new questions about whether the son of Sam was working alone. I'm Dan Bowens, and you are listening to The Tape Room. On this episode, a conversation with Josh Zeman, the director of the new Netflix documentary, The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness, the series chronicling the story of investigative journalist Maury Terry and his decades-long attempt to prove that David Berkowitz didn't do it by himself. All right, uh, Josh, thank you so very much. Um, 
you know, even after all these years, the Berkowitz case is just so fascinating. In my mind, it really has uh, a mythology to it. Uh, and also, I think that's part of the reason why we're so interested in it and part of the reason why it continues to fascinate us. And talk to me about what this documentary is about. This case is about the Son of Sam case, but more so it's also about a journalist named Maury Terry who felt that he had the keys to unlocking the truth behind the Son of Sam case. And that's, you know, one of the true crime cases, one of the serial killer cases that really has changed both journalism and New York City. It's, you know, what went on in New York City in the 1970s, it's an amazing time. You know, uh, panic had grasped the city in a way in which I've never seen before. For New Yorkers in this time period, this summer, this time of economic crisis, when crime is sort of skyrocketing out of control, can you sort of give me a sense of what it was like during that time while these killings were happening? You had a murder rate that was rocketing out of control, four murders a day. You had a city that was had just been on the brink of bankruptcy. You had fires, over 12,000 cases of arson up in the Bronx. The Bronx was burning. Uh, you had garbage strikes, police strikes. It was an incredible time in New York City. And right in the middle of that, you had the son of Sam. Uh, he suddenly started attacking couples, parked in cars. Uh, it became a time of incredible fear. People weren't going out. They weren't going to discos. They weren't going to restaurants. They weren't going to bars. Um, you also had, right in the middle of the Son of Sam, you had uh, the blackout, which basically created millions of dollars worth of damage. So it was this incredible time in New York City. Um, and suddenly the Son of Sam basically brings New York City to its knees. And part of that is because a lot of this crime, it may have been fueled by drugs or it may have been sort of having to do with uh, just, just sort of the economic situations in general. But what the son of Sam was doing, he was targeting the last little bits of innocence you might have had left, the date night that you were going to go on. This It's sort of outside the wave of crime that's happening that makes it so frightening. I mean, that's very true. You're, you're right about that. He was actually going into kind of white, well-to-do communities and attacking those couples who were making out in cars, you know, is very all American and he was, you know, killing them. And so it really, it, it affected a whole generation. When I talk to people who were there back then, I say, well, well, how do you explain it to me? And they say, you know what it's like? It's like the pandemic now. Nobody was going out, nobody was shopping, nobody was doing anything. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. So now I can kind of understand really what that fear was like and the effect that it had on people. And of course, Josh, your documentary, as much as it is about that situation and that crime and those series of killings, it's also about this man who wanted to take on the investigation himself because he felt like there was more out there. It's very true. Maury Terry was a kind of frustrated journalist. Um, at the time, he was living up in Yonkers. But like a lot of people, he felt that something was kind of wrong with the case. There were all these sketches that had been done, like eight sketches overall, and none of them matched. Um, there were always people who seemed to think that it was more than just one person. Um, also, there were all these kind of like letters that seemed to be filled with clues. And Maury 
to, to his credit, basically discovered uh, through a preponderance of evidence that it was more than just Berkowitz. That is something that some people may have written off as a conspiracy because they say, no, we got our guy. He's there. He's in prison. Uh, the killing stopped, theoretically. Um, and, and what Maury says is, no, there was more. And there's this maybe link to a satanic, if not a cult, then at least a few other followers. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very true. Basically, uh, Maury was able to kind of uh, pull out this information. You know, Berkowitz had been caught in Yonkers and Maury was from Yonkers. And it had seemed that there were the, the other basically shooters were from the Yonkers area. So he kind of was able to delve into the underground of Yonkers and find out what the police didn't do. And, you, you know, I'm sorry to say it's not about the rank and file, but, you know, this is about politics. This is about big city politics in an incredible time when New York City was on its knees. You know, the last thing they were going to do is say, maybe we didn't get all of them. Uh, and, and, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that they didn't go in and do some very simple things like take some time and speak to the real sons of Sam, John and Michael Carr, who um, happened to look like the photos, uh, happened to look like the sketches. So, you know, there were things that they could have done that they didn't do. Uh, I think everybody just wanted the nightmare to be over. And when you say that the real sons of Sam, make that connection for me for people sure. who haven't followed sure. the case to the, to the so, micro detail. Sorry. So for those who, who don't quite know, when Berkowitz was arrested, he claimed that uh, he had been commanded to kill by a demon dog. And this dog was, this demon basically had been speaking through his neighbor's dog, his neighbor, Sam Carr. Well, it just so happens that in all the letters he's talking about Papa Sam, he's, he's referencing this neighbor, Sam Carr. Sam has two sons, John and Michael Carr, who happen to be also the sons of Sam. You would think that the NYPD would go in and interview those sons of Sam, seeing how the letters talk about sons of Sam. They talk about Papa Sam. One of the letters is signed Sam's creation, but they didn't do that. Uh, and Maury kind of noted this and he went and he talked to uh, the cars and he started doing investigation and he started to see hmm, some things are very interesting here. These cars, uh, these guys are friends with Berkowitz. They live very close. They're all hanging out in a, in a park called Untermeyer Park. And they're all kind of, you know, into witchcraft and kind of dabbling in the devil, theoretically. Uh, so Maury was able to kind of figure this out. Of course, I think Maury went off the rails a little bit, but that doesn't take away from his original investigation and what he was able to uncover. Those two brothers died under mysterious circumstances? You know, we don't know exactly what happened to them. Um, one died uh, from a suicide, apparently, in Minot, North Dakota, uh, just a couple months after Berkowitz was arrested. And then... Uh, uh, in 1979, another one died mysteriously on a car crash on the West Side Highway. Um, I had interviewed a mental health expert who says that this gentleman, John Carr, went to see him um, the day before uh, he committed suicide and said that somebody was after him. He was in fear of his life. And he said he had information that the NYPD would probably like to know about the Son of Sam case. Your documentary takes a look at a lot of these different elements. And also it's, it's really about Maury's passion for the case. And it's kind of two parts where it's about this individual and it's also about the case itself. It's kind of focusing on what can happen when you get obsessed with a case 
but also here's some things that he found out about the case. It's just this, it's a great balance there of what you're what you're able to accomplish. You know, true crime is very popular right now, but I also think, you know, it's a cautionary tale about true crime. It's a cautionary tale about going down the rabbit hole. You know, we all on our computers can go down a rabbit hole for four hours and we suddenly say, oh my God, I forgot to make dinner for the kids. Well, this is a guy who went down a rabbit hole for 40 years. And basically the toll that the case took upon him, uh, you know, it, it, it destroyed some of his marriage, it ruined some of his relationships, you know, and ultimately, in some ways, the case kind of killed him. How close was he in his investigation to what you think is truth and what is fantasy and what is just sort of a little bit of obsession? I mean, there, there is truth in his investigation. No doubt there's truth in his investigation. I think what happened was, you know, first he made these allegations that maybe the police didn't do as thorough as investigation as they should. I think the political machine came down on him. Uh, they called him a crackpot, you know, and when you get called a crackpot, suddenly you double down. And I think, you know, so he doubled down, he went further down the rabbit hole. I, hard to put a percentage on it, but, you know, I would say 75% true, maybe 65% true. But that initial investigation that Berkowitz didn't act alone, that's the part where that Maury really did a good job at. And that's the part that I think we uh, have to take away and really look at because it's about changing the history books. It's about saying maybe Berkowitz didn't act alone. Did you reach out to Berkowitz at all over the course of your uh, documentary or reporting? Um, I asked him, uh, wrote him a letter and asked him a, about his relationship with Maury. To me, that's what was interesting. I didn't want to know about David Berkowitz. I didn't want to know uh, his opinion. Maury had covered that. I just wanted to know uh, about his relationship with Maury Terry. Because I'll tell you, there's a point in the series where Berkowitz writes Maury a letter and says, Maury, no matter how much evidence you have, the public will never, ever truly believe you. And he was right. The new series, The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness, is now available on Netflix. David Berkowitz is currently serving six consecutive life sentences in prison. He's just an animal as far as I'm concerned. Nisa Moskowitz, whose daughter Stacy was the last victim of The Son of Sam, died in 2006. Over the years, she embraced a role as the unofficial spokesperson for all the victims, and over time, her feelings toward Berkowitz changed. While she once called for his execution, in the end, according to the New York Post, she told her friend, quote, this kind of anger can make you sick. Don't let anger eat you up. She needed to relieve herself of anger to be able to move forward with her own life. The Tape Room is part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Bowens. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Matt Onimus. Our executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Ahmad Asgar. Byron Harmon is vice president of Fox 5 News, and Lou Leone is vice president and general manager. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Tape Room. <laughs>